1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. When we date, we make decisions. And those decisions are usually informed by what we think is our brain. (laughs) But usually, there's so much more that affects how we make decisions, who we choose to go on dates with, how we feel about them. There's just this whole science to it. And we have an expert to talk about that whole thing, right? You
0: never think about it. You just think that's the way
1: it works, right? We just assume that this is just our own intelligence feeding us this information. Or it's the way you are. Yeah. It's just, I was born with it. It's a, you know, it's my personality. So our guest today, her name is Logan Yuri. She's 31 years old. She's lived in San Francisco for nine years, originally from South Florida and currently in a monogamous relationships. She's here to talk about what's called, and I, this word, I always have a hard time saying it, behavioral economics. It's like such a tongue twister for me. Basically the science of how and why we make decisions and how this applies to dating and relationships. What is this? What is behavioral economics? Why should we care?
2: That was a great introduction. Thank you so much for having me. The idea behind behavioral economics is that there's this field of economics, which you're probably familiar with, which assumes that everyone's rational. It thinks that people make a cost-benefit analysis before making decisions. And then there's the field of psychology that thinks about how our brains work and what's going into our decision-making and kind of how we're wired and how I'm different from you. And behavioral economics combines those two. So it's basically saying people make decisions, but actually in these irrational ways, but we make decisions in the same irrational ways. So our brains are often clouded by these things called cognitive biases, but the same ones appear over and over. And if we understand what those cognitive biases are, then we can help make better decisions. So I can tell you about a really famous example of behavioral economics. I could show you this chart of organ donation rates across Europe. And you would see that some have an organ donation rate of around 99 or 98%. And other countries have an organ donation rate of around 1 or 2 or 3%. Oh. And then if I said to you, why are some countries high and some countries low? Like, what are some of the things that you might guess?
0: people want to donate in some places and not in others.
1: And that they are taught morally that it's it's better
0: if you donate your organs, or it's a religious thing. If you donate, you have a better afterlife. Or maybe like friends and family have donated their organs, so they think it's something they should do. Yeah,
2: those are great guesses. So usually when I show this graph to people, they'll say things like, oh, some of those countries are religious and some Mm. aren't. Or maybe in some cultures, they value organ donations and in others, they think it's weird. But actually- when you look at the graph, you can see that countries that are really similar, so like they actually have really different organ donation rates. And the point of this is that the reason why some are really high and some are really low is that in some countries, when you go to the DMV and you sign up for a Mm. driver's license, it says, check the box if you don't want to be an organ donor. And in other countries, it says, check the box if you do do. want to be an organ donor. And in either way, people don't check the box and (laughs) they just become what the (laughs) default is. What's so fascinating about this example? is organ donation rates matter a lot. It's about how many Mm -hmm. lives are saved, how long it takes to get the organ, but it's being decided by the way the form is written. And the lesson that we get from that is a lot of our decisions are just made by what's the default. So in some countries, the default is to be an organ donor. In other countries, the default is to not be an organ donor. And because of something called the path of least resistance, we just don't check the box. Mm. And what's so fascinating is when people are leaving the DMV and you say to them, why did you sign up to be an organ donor? They'll make up a reason. They'll say, oh, you know, somebody in my family was affected by this and received an organ. And they'll they'll rationalize. They'll give you an explanation for why. They'll never say because the form was opt out. And if you say to somebody why didn't, they'll... You'll, they'll say, oh, it's creepy, or this and that. They won't say, it's because the form was opt-in. But we know, <laughs> based on these crazy different rates, that that's really what's going on here. So how does this apply oh. to dating? So that's just one example of how behavioral economics works, and there's a few lessons I want you to get from that. One is that defaults really matter. Two is that there's this thing called path of least resistance. We resist making hard decisions. We just go with whatever's there. Mm. And then three is, we don't really understand what's behind the decisions that Mm. we're making, and we explain it in a different way. Because we think
1: we're rational. Oh,
2: yeah. We think we're (laughs) rational, and we think we're in control of our decisions. So the way that this relates to dating, think about the way the apps are created and all the defaults that are built into the apps. Mm. So I used to lead a behavioral economics team at Google. So what we would do is we would take these principles from academia and we would apply them to products at Google. So we would say things like, how do we get users to continue through a signup flow? Or how do you get Google employees to drink more water? Things like that, right? And now I'm applying them to dating as a dating coach and through a book that I'm writing that applies behavioral economics to dating. Mm. And one example that I often give around the apps is that the apps make a lot of assumptions that I actually think are wrong. Okay. So one of those assumptions is the apps assume that you know what you want. So when you're signing up for an app, it'll say, what's your height maximum? What's your height minimum? What religion do you want? Do you care if they're a smoker or not? Is this a deal breaker? Is this a preference, right? There's a whole onboarding flow. People fill it out pretty quickly Mm because they're like, I want to get to the dates. I want to get to the dates. What that whole action relies on is the idea that you know what you want. But but I don't
0: think that's true. I remember I had a friend that met her boyfriend and she said that if she had met him on a dating app, they would never have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We
0: hear that all the time because what is the difference
1: between 510 and 100 percent. Ap- apparently, I know I want someone five ten,
2: not five nine. This like, there's a few things going on there. So one is that it's not just that the dating apps think that we know what we want, and we know that that's not true. We also think we know what we want, right? right? Like right. people have these lists, and they're like, he must love dogs, and he must be like this. Part of me is like, okay, if you're single and you've been dating for a long time, maybe actually your list isn't really what you want. Mm-hmm. And I talked to so many people similar to what you just said, who are like, I would have swiped left on my husband, I wouldn't have even seen my husband yeah. Yeah. because he would have been excluded. Totally. And I have tested this because I had a big singles party in January and I had so many couples that matched there and I later talked to them and said, would you have ever even seen each other on the app? And one of the common things was no because of height. That was a common mm, thing for course, women yeah. and <laughs> no because of age and that yeah. was a common thing for, for men. men. Interesting. And this, I talk about the story in my book but I actually swiped life on my boyfriend before we started dating because I saw him on Tinder and I knew him. We had gone to college together and I was like, oh, he kind of looks like a bro. He's not really smiling. And I just assumed all of these things about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But in reality, when I met him, he was a completely different person. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting example of how one flaw of the dating apps is that they assume you know what you want, but people don't know what they want. And that our preferences are very arbitrary Mm -hmm. and they're very affected by the context in which we see them. So another example is if I said to you, what do you like more, an apple or a banana? What would you say? A banana. Apple.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you each each immediately have an
2: answer, right? So you said apple. I said banana. You said banana. You said apple. apple. But we know this from experiments that if I actually showed you a banana, a really, really beautiful apple, and a kind of gross apple, you're much more likely to choose the apple. Cause what your brain does is it compares the two apples. It says, this one looks really good. And suddenly you want Uh the more beautiful apple. And this Mm. is something called asymmetric dominance. It's basically like our brains prefer to make decisions by comparing similar things. Oh, interesting. So you think that in a vacuum, you would choose an apple or a banana. It actually is affected by set of what I show you.
1: Oh, that is so. Oh my gosh. This is just goes into my friend who's Indian does very well in Iceland. We thought it was because he's so exotic. It's just because he is the best looking Indian in Iceland. There's probably like yes. five of them. But he does horribly in San Francisco because there's just so many of them to compare him to. Oh my so God. he's always swiping mm-hmm. in Iceland.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah. I, I guess that's what I would be curious of. How does that principle apply to yeah. like dating and relationships? So let, so
2: let me give you um, a more official example. Please. And <laughs> then let me give you how it applies to dating. So an experiment that I think Dan Ariely ran is that... He said to people, would you rather go to Paris or Rome? Okay. And people have their own responses. You know, some people have been, some people haven't been, whatever it is. And he sees, and let's say it's like 50-50 for each. So then he says to people, would you rather go to Paris with free breakfast on your trip, Rome with free breakfast on your trip, or Rome without free breakfast on your trip? And suddenly everybody wants Rome Rome. with free breakfast. Interesting. So how this applies to dating is that for your profile picture... You could have a picture of you with someone who looks like you, but is slightly less good looking. (laughs) And then you look better. And then you look better. And this is funny because I have a good friend who looks similar to me, and it was her 30th birthday, and I just posted a bunch of pictures of us over the years on Instagram, and I was like, damn, she looks like me, but is a little bit hotter. I look (laughs) much worse in these photos because of that. But if it
0: was like you with someone like Asian, for example, like you wouldn't make that comparison. It's not the same. It's not the same.
2: So, yeah. So so just to underline the principle is our brains like to make decisions by comparing similar things. Ah. So if you take something that's like you, but slightly worse- (laughs) You look better. So if your friend who looks like you starts asking you to pose for a profile
0: picture, she's read Logan's book.
1: She's heard this. Now Now I'm gonna be really offended if any of my Asian girlfriends (laughs) wants to take pictures with me. See, that's also funny
2: because I wonder if it works differently with Asian people. Like, I wonder if like Mm. an untrained eye would think you looked more similar than you actually do. We could do an experiment. That would be an experiment.
0: Interesting. Okay, give us another example. This This is is
2: fascinating. I I love. this. Okay. What's another? The human
1: brain is so dumb. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) so intricate. Okay. I really like talking about the dating app. So I'm going to, I forget the exact wording, but it's basically like whatever we measure is what matters. Mm. So I don't know. If you, what you guys do for a living normally, <laughs> other than do this podcast, but if you work at a company that has metrics, yes. what happens when there's metrics is that whatever you make the metric about, people start caring about. Yes. So there's a really interesting example. I think this is from an old social psych test where they say to people, where they're basically trying to figure out, uh, in what environment are people more productive when there's artificial lights or when there's natural lights? right? So they start measuring people's productivity in the two different environments. And what they find out is that it actually doesn't matter which type of lighting. When you are watching people work, they work harder. So kind of like the conclusion is, (laughs) if you measure people's productivity, then people's productivity goes up or how that would work. Like in a tech example is if you say, um, I work at YouTube and we're going to measure number of subscribers, then you're telling yourself that number of subscribers matters more and you're going to work towards that. If you tell yourself that number of minutes of eyeballs watch matters, if you're measuring that, that's what you care about. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you act in a different way. So how that relates to dating is that the dating apps can only measure things that are easy to measure. So things that are easy to measure are your height, where you went to school, Like the symmetry of your face, right? That's what a profile picture is, your job right now, your zip code. And it's not just that that stuff's neutral and that in the back of our heads, we're like, well, it would be great if they could measure kindness and humor and adventurousness, but they're not able to, but you're also keeping that in mind. What happens is that you start to think that that stuff's really important. Mm. So Christian Rudder is the guy who founded OKCupid okay and he used to run the, the, the blog. Okay Cupid blog, yep. okay Trends, and then he mm-hmm. wrote Dataclism. And I interviewed him and one of the most interesting things he says is that they did an analysis of, of OKCupid. Okay they looked at women who are evaluating men who were either 5'9 or 5'10 now how much more do you think a guy needs to make per year so additional income who's a guy who's 5'9 what does he have to make more per year to be seen as equally attractive as a guy who's 5'10 oh, interesting like 10,000 i was gonna say 50,000 <laughs> whoa guess who's been on dating apps longer no i'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> But the answer is $40,000. Damn. $40,000 per year. And that's not just in San Francisco with like crazy incomes, what people are seeing. So- of course, if you went into a bar and a guy was 5'9", you wouldn't be like, you're $40,000 less valuable right. a year than the guy who's 5'10". But because the dating apps are measuring height, suddenly we're comparing across mm. height and height becomes that much more important. I no totally wonder s- these guys
0: lie about their height. I
2: mean, yeah. that's like, yeah. almost, almost like, as good as lying about their salary. It's, it's like,
1: yeah. that
0: or I got to make an extra 40K yeah. a year. No, no but it's, it's so yeah, true. Crazy. Like, I find myself, like, I don't think I'm someone that, like, dwells on height. And I do find myself, like, looking at that at every profile on dating apps for sure because it's one of the
2: like things to look at right it's like if amazon was showing you a camera and it was like these are the five things that make cameras different you're gonna measure across those even if you're like i don't actually know what like what what a pixel means you're gonna start measuring against pixels because our brains want to make these comparisons yeah and we we want the
1: best we want to optimize yeah and
2: i've been this is a little bit of a tangent but i've been talking to so many women lately who are getting their eggs frozen Mm. who are like i don't want to be a evaluated based on my Mm. age because I don't feel like I'm that biological age. And they're like, I'm 35 and men men basically are like, I'll date anyone who's 34 and under. So they like lie about their age because they're like, well, me at 35 with frozen eggs is different than a 35 year old without frozen eggs. And anyway, it's basically a form of superficiality just because these apps are like, well, here are the things I can give you. And if I were to design a dating app had access to like all these different types of things and it involved AI, like the things that I would show you would not be somebody's company and role or height. It would be a bunch of other factors that are actually related to compatibility, but they just show you the things that are easy to show you. Mm-hmm. And then because of these cognitive biases, we think that what they measure is are the things that matter.
1: My question then goes back to this argument of almost like standardized testing, like SATs, right? There are a lot of biases in those standardized tests. There's cultural biases, ethnic biases. There's no fast way for colleges to really measure your qualifications right. other than sort of a standardized score. And I kind of feel the same way with dating apps. For them to actually work the way they're supposed to work, there has to be these like standard qualities that we're looking for. So how would let's say a new dating app get around unconscious bias? Yeah, it's
2: a totally fair point. And I love the SAT analogy, I would say I would think more about what I would tell my clients versus what I would tell the dating apps. So what I would tell my clients or anyone who's listening who's trying to use the apps is be a little bit broader in what you're setting your settings to be right. Because think about the two things that I just told you. One is apps assume that we know what we want, but we don't. And the other is whatever they measure feels like it matters. But those actually aren't the things that matter. So when you're signing up for a dating app, be a little bit looser with age, be a little bit looser with height, Mm -hmm. um, be a little less judgmental about where people went to school. Because even though it's tempting to try to turn, you know, this flood into a trickle in order to have fewer people to date, what you actually should do is have an experimental mindset. Yeah. So I like to tell people date like a scientist. And how does a scientist date? They have hypotheses and they test Hmm. them. So maybe someone's hypothesis is I'm not attracted to men under 5'10", okay, go on some dates with guys who are under 5'10", and tell me if that's true. Or somebody else will say, I'm not attracted to engineers, I don't really like the way their brains work. Go on a date with some engineers and tell me if that's true. What I want you to do is understand that the dating apps are doing the best they can with the Mm -hmm. limitations of the technology, and therefore the onus is on you to actually test if these hypotheses you have are true, Mm. and I feel like this happens to me all the time where people say, you know, I'm dating this guy, and he's really different than anyone I've ever dated, Yes. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to marry him, right? Yeah, that because happens all the time. It's we like you're breaking up so many a
1: people. Yes. Okay, so we did an episode called "Are We Asking Too Much of Tinder?" Which is right. kind of the same thing. Is like we can't expect these apps to find the love of our lives. That's still our job. But what about this idea of paradox of choice? Yeah. And when you broaden your parameters, you just have way too many people to look at, and then we're
2: then unable to make decisions. Then too.
0: Yeah. How does behavioral economics go <laughs> into well, that? Yeah. Yeah. Paradox
2: <laughs> of choice. Is it's absolutely a key if I were gonna give you a Venn diagram of behavioral economics and dating. Paradox of choice would be in the middle. So what I say to people is basically you need to create limitations for yourself. So there's an optical illusion where when you see an image and it's blurry, your brain fills in the gap to make it seem more beautiful. So I don't know. Oh, if to you, make it seem more beautiful. Yeah, so I don't know if you remember this, but in the nineties there was this big thing called glamour shots. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Oh okay. I had some. I had some, I had some too. So if you look back at glamour shots, they pretty blurry yeah, and that's taking advantage of this optical illusion of when there's less information our brains fill in the gap to make it seem more beautiful it even happens if you have like a mediocre photo and you use a black and white filter doesn't it suddenly become I was gonna say the better? league
0: the league the dating app yeah. they've changed everyone to be black and white no. to oh rem- they yeah. yeah the very first photo oh. to wow. remove bias on um, just I mean I think there's probably some of it has to do with like racial bias and all that but also some of the stuff maybe that you're saying to too. Oh, that's
2: so that's interesting. Great. I wonder if I wonder if they even know why. It, I mean, I'm sure they did a test that's yeah. basically like you look better. And I wonder if if they even know that it's because of this. Right. But that's it's super interesting. We yeah. Think it is. Right. Uh, why I bring this up is basically I talk to people about this when they're going on dates. So it's like, okay, you're going on a date. You're at a bar. You're sitting across from the person. You see all their flaws. You know, maybe you see mm. something in their teeth, or they look a little older than their photo. They didn't hold the door for you. Whatever it is, right? So you're aware of the flaws, of the real life person. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the bathroom and you're swiping on Tinder and you see what's essentially a blurry image of a person. The new shiny it's, object. Right. It's, yeah. just a few, it's just a few pictures. And they say things like, I like music. Mm-hmm. And that's a blurry image. And you fill in the gap and you say, oh, they like music. I like music too. Yeah. I bet we like the same music. The same music. Music. Yeah. Right. So you're in the bathroom falling in love with your soulmate. And then you go and reject the person you're across from. And then the same <laughs> thing keeps happening, right? What I like to say to people is like, understand. And optical illusion and understand that you'll just perpetually be swiping to find the next person, eventually you have to commit. <laughs> eventually you have to say, this flawed human being, this real life person in front yep. of me, let me just try to make it work with them.
0: Right. No one's perfect and right. you're never going to find that perfect right. person. And I think that's yep.
2: part of the paradox of choice is like the more options we have, the harder it is to make decisions. So you need to take control of your life and you need to say, eventually I'm going to pick a person and try to make it work with them. I mean,
0: I've heard... Men say men more than women, but like it's like even if they're not getting any matches on a dating app, just because they see all the women, yeah, they, they feel know, like they
1: can get all the women, yeah, and they mm-hmm. know
0: that they're out there and they feel like they yeah. have all these options, although none of them have matched back with them. And like suddenly you're being compared or whoever is on the date to this list of women that have never even indicated that they have any interest in them whatsoever.
1: Well, I think psychologically, what feeds into that is that all these photos are of people looking. Into the camera, so yep. in some ways they're looking at you and so happy and happy <laughs> and attractive. So it feel it kind of mimics the experience of walking into a room and everyone's mm-hmm. looking at you, yep. and then you have your pick of the litter. Yep, right. and everyone's
0: maintaining eye contact
1: <laughs> for a very they long time, and they're photo. telling you all
2: the best
0: qualities about <laughs> yeah. themselves. It's amazing. Like, they like music and yoga and Machu Picchu. And then that real person
1: <laughs> looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's all fascinating. So, what about the other end of things when? People people say, I found the one. I'm making a decision. This is it. I yeah. I feel
2: like this is definitely it. And then maybe it ends up not being it, but feeds into that decision. Sure. I write about this in my book as like a Dating apps give us a skewed perception of reality because it if you walked into a bar, you would never be like 100 people in this bar are into me, but the dating apps make you feel like you're at the center of the universe. Yep. Right. And another key difference is that if you were in a bar and you walked up, up to someone, you're likely to be rejected, right? right? So you're often getting rejected. And then when somebody says yes and goes on a date with you, you feel mm. gratitude towards them. You're like, great. Somebody said yes. But because of the double opt-in structure of dating apps, where you only see the people who swiped right on you, yeah. You actually are not getting the rejection you don't see that you're getting, which I think makes you feel less grateful for the dates uh, you do get. That's a great point. And you know, like there is like some rejection in ghosting where people like stop responding, but I really have watched people do this where they swipe right on a bunch of people. They only get a few matches. They don't think, oh, I bet those people sw- swiped left on me. They think, oh, they stopped using the app, right? They have a whole story in their head. <laughs> when you're
1: filling in. Yeah.
2: And I actually think people are, it makes us more rude and less grateful because we are not getting a rejection. Mm. Oh, wow. well, maybe dating apps should
0: show the rejection. Yeah, like, no, that person did see you and yeah. they said no. <laughs> there should be like
1: a red column <laughs> and a green column and show all the people who rejected you. Just it's, so you're more grateful
0: for the green column. I yeah. totally agree though, because like I think people just will fill in the story with something that makes them feel positive.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that is a good transition into the question that you just asked me. So are you familiar with the concept of cognitive dissonance? And not totally. Yeah, please, please. Give us a formal definition. Cognitive dissonance is when your brain is holding two conflicting thoughts at the same time, and our brains don't like to do that. So we actually do a lot of work to try to avoid the feeling of cognitive dissonance. And there's tons of experiments that show that our brains basically will do a lot of work to come up with a consistent story. So there's one example where this researcher named Leon Festinger, he asked people to do this really mindless task, take a bolt and screw it into the floor like over and over again for an hour. And for some people at the end of the hour, he paid them $20. And for some people at the end of the hour, they were paid $1. So when you ask the people, why, why did you do this task? Mm-hmm. The people who were paid twenty dollars, it makes sense. You did a boring task, you got paid twenty dollars. I think these were college students. I did it for the money. For the people who got paid one dollar, it doesn't it, it, it's it's in conflict to say I did this extremely boring stupid task <laughs> for one dollar. So they suddenly say, Oh, it was so meditative. <laughs> It was a really interesting oh, so experience. they're reconciling in their, yeah. head, so they in their heads. So they're coming up with Ooh, a story. Yep. It hurts your brain to have two conflicting thoughts. So they come up with a story to make those things consistent. Hmm. So this is a topic that I think is so interesting because I think one of the main issues with dating today is that people are having trouble making decisions. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what I say to them is like, once you commit, your brain will kind of take over and do the work for you. So think about a friend who had a boyfriend or girlfriend who they had some issues with and then they get engaged and suddenly you don't. Hear about those issues anymore, right? The person has basically said, Yes, this person is like constantly late, but yes, we're getting married. So I'm suddenly going to come up with a story in my head that says, I don't really care about that anymore. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is that once we commit to something, our brains do the work for us. So, for example, if you buy a dress that has a 30 day return policy, over the 30 days, you might be like, Should I or should I not keep the dress? And you do a pro consulate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Versus if you buy a dress, final sale, you're like, This is my this dress. Is and you just don't go through the pro right. list mm-hmm. And actually, you enjoy the dress more... (laughs) when you buy a final sale because you haven't racked your brain saying should I keep it or not Right. so with dating what ends up happening is like once you make the commitment once you see it as final sale brain will help you feel better about the decision but you have to commit to get to that point point. and the people mm. that I see that I work with they're just having such a hard time getting to that point and they spend like two, three, four, five years doing the pro con list yep. mm. by the time they've been through five years of that that con list is so loud in their head it's really hard for them to feel positive positive about the decision. With that notion, should we just all do arranged marriages? Wouldn't that make more sense? (laughs) It may be easier if you're going to go off that alone, right? I think you'd be surprised how many people ask me to set them up in arranged marriages. I feel like I know people. I can think of one guy in my head where I'm like, he would just be so much happier in an arranged marriage. Like he is not doing a good job at picking for himself. And in the span of human history, this is very new. Like we have not been picking our own partners for very long. And who's to say that we're good at picking our own partners i mean there
0: are studies with arranged marriage that people are happier higher success rates yeah that's a better word than happier we don't know that but that Mm -hmm. i think is to your point logan is like they've kind of like accepted this is what i got
2: the research says that arranged marriages overtake love marriages so non-arranged marriages around the four-year mark Mm. which is super interesting and one of the reasons for that is that If you look at the research of Helen Fisher, who's a biological Mm -hmm, anthropologist, yeah, you know her, she says that our brains are in lust- like mm, our brains are on the right. drug of love for about four years. So we fall out of lust around the three, four year mark, huh. which is one of the reasons why arranged marriages take over. It's really complicated to look at the experiments on this because it's not like we can have a double blind experiment where we right. say you go to arranged marriage <laughs> right. <and> you don't. <laughs> right, so there's right. tons of cultural reasons why yeah. those people, and it, you know divorce isn't common, but yeah, when you are in an arranged marriage, you say, I am committed to making this work. And when you're in a love marriage, you sort of say, I'll stay in this until I think I could be happier elsewhere. Right, And yep, that's not final sale. Yeah. It's a final sale. Right. That's a great
0: name for a dating app. Final (laughs) sale. No returns. I have a question about like a reverse situation. What if you're like with someone and it's like almost too easy that you don't value it. Is there a reason why your brain is kind of saying like, I want to be with someone that kind of makes me work for it a little more? Let's take a quick break for a
1: sec. So we talked about changing your dating defaults guys. Maybe it's time to do that with your grooming products too. Instead of sticking with whatever you grabbed off the drugstore shelf or the stuff you've been using since you were a kid, try Blackwood for Men, a line of premium hair and skincare products full of natural botanicals. That means Blackwood's not just better for you, it actually repairs and protects your skin and hair while you cleanse. And we've got a 25% off deal just for you dateable listeners. Go to blackwoodformen.com and use the code DATEABLE. Again, that's Black Woodformen.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 25% off. Now back to the show.
0: Is there a reason why your brain is kind of saying like I wanna be with someone that kind of makes me work
2: for it a little more? So there is a principle in behavioral economics called the IKEA effect that says the more that we work for something, the more we value it. Okay. So it's why if you put together your Ikea furniture, you feel like it's worth more than if you just bought that identical <laughs> piece of furniture. Cause you're like, I remember I was looking at the instructions and I lost the nail and I was freaking out, but then I found it and my neighbor came over and, and was screwed redo in I actually
0: technically work for Ikea. And I'm definitely telling this. Situation. Oh yeah.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> well, the Ikea effect applies to dating and relationships because the more effort you put in, the more you value it. So something that I say to people all the time is that we're in this age of romanticism where people think, oh, I have a soulmate and my soulmate will understand me intuitively and relationships won't be work. And if it feels like work, I'm doing it wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. If, you, if it feels like work, you're doing it right. And that's a huge thing. So okay. so I say to people, like, not only should you be putting in work because relationships take investment, but you'll value it more when you put the work in. Right. So is that a red flag of a relationship feels too easy? I think it depends. I think if you're in the honeymoon phase, you're on the drug of love, you know, the person seems to have no flaws. But I would say like, if you're in year three or four and you're never fighting and it seems really easy, like, are you actually just suppressing your emotions? Mm, Like, why are you not fighting? Like, are you not telling the truth? I just had a friend who broke up with his longtime girlfriend and he's like, maybe we would have stayed together if we fought more. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you just don't, you
0: got to a point that you just don't care. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, if you're not fighting, like, what's going on? on because I just don't feel like two people are necessarily so incredibly insane. Right. I feel like they're a little bit in denial. I agree. Mm-hmm. Anytime
0: people say they never fight, it's a It's a flag. problem. Yeah. yeah. I and definitely
2: uh, my boyfriend's mom is a PhD therapist and I talked to her about this once and she was like, when couples come to me and say they never fight, I say, do you ever have sex? <laughs> she was like passion. Those are like two right, sides yeah, of the same right, passion right. coin. And I don't think that, you know, we never fight is like something to aspire to. It's a word fight. They see shame in it. Yeah, because it's a negative term. Yeah. If
1: we said more argument or
2: conflict, disagreement, yeah.
1: disagreement, it's a little different. Yeah. yeah, but
0: I think like the worst thing is indifference, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh,
2: I definitely had that. Yeah, exactly. That's so I think that's most like place you know what to be. Ellie Wiesel says. Who, what, what, what? Oh, he says the opposite of love is not hate; it's yep. indifference. Exactly, because yeah. you just
0: got to a point that you don't give a shit. Basically, yeah. it's like I, not even worth the effort of fighting.
2: One of the most interesting things I've heard about fighting is: I are you fans of the Gottmans? Do you know that? Oh, John Julie Gottman, yeah, Institute. Gottman Institute, yeah. Oh, um, uh-huh. yeah, big relationship scientists. So they've done tons of research on couples, and they have found that sixty-nine percent of problems are perpetual. So it's not like couples will have a fight and eventually come to a conclusion. Like I like to get to the airport early, you like to get to the airport late, and then one of them wins. It's like no, throughout your entire relationship, you're going to be fighting about lateness, and that's totally fine. Mm, that's and how you handle it. Yeah, it's how you handle it. It's, it's accepting influence, but it's not about one person winning. It's not right. about we have now solved the lateness thing it's like no you're always gonna have a thing about that and you can have a really happy successful relationship over decades and never resolve the lateness i feel like when i heard that i just took a sigh of relief because i was like oh this isn't a problem to solve let's hold that thought for a sec. we we'll get
1: right back to it this episode is sponsored by via we all know there are things that can help set the mood in bedroom but did you know a little thc could also do that yes via has developed a unique blend of pleasure enhancing cannabinoids libido strengthening herbs and a low-dose of THC all into one mind blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at Viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to Viahemp.com and use a code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's Viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion I actually have that problem. I'm perpetually late and I've always had. Oh, really? I've never noticed. Never (laughs) noticed, Julie. My ex-boyfriends have always had a problem with it and up until now. So I think all the ex-boyfriends have made me feel guilt and shame in my lateness, which made me want to do it even more. Despite them. Okay. And like, Oh, okay. You're going to make me feel like crap. I'm going to do it even more. But I think what my current boyfriend did was so interesting. If he really wants me to be on time, he's not going to do shit. Like tell me to show up at 7:30 when the reservation's really at 8:30 or whatever. Like he says, I'm meeting up with a friend and he would really like it if we're on time. Like he puts it on someone else mm. and he, you know, he would say it would make, it would make him very happy. And it would show respect if we showed up on time. And that made me feel like, okay, I'm gonna show up on time. So it's, it's interesting how you deal with a conflict, but you're right. I'm never gonna be not late. It's just part of who I am. I try to be better, but it's how people deal with that conflict.
2: Yeah, I love that story because you're not gonna change. The person shouldn't try to change you. Neither of you feel good. It sounds like you were exhibiting protest behavior in the past. <laughs> protest but behavior, But you're not I gonna like protest the third object. You're not gonna protest the friend who you don't wanna let down. So that's yeah. very clever psychologically on your clever. boyfriend's part. <laughs> when I was at the Gottman's training, I think it's called, the science the the art and science of love I stood up and I gave the example of, I like to be at the airport at a certain time. My boyfriend doesn't. And what do we do? And their advice was just go to the airport separately. Mm-hmm. And I yep, think that's why I that. love that metaphor. Oh, because I do it's that like, with
0: friends all the time. You like, do that with I'm me. me.
2: <laughs> it's acceptance as <laughs> because, opposed to trying yeah. to change the yeah. person. Yeah. And then
0: you're just both like feeling anxious about it in different ways. So what are some
1: decisions that we're making in our dating lives that are, that, that are just totally wrong, totally
2: irrational, but everyone's, making these decisions or coming to these conclusions. So one of the areas that I've done the most unique research on is breakups. I'm really Mm. fascinated by breakups. And I – last year in March, I put on Facebook, I'm researching breakups and decision-making. If you are considering breaking up with somebody, give me a call. And people from around the world, people I hadn't seen in many years, people I've never met, contacted me. And I had these fascinating conversations with people who are basically like, should I or should I not break up with my partner? Okay. And – I feel like in the area of breakups, there's just so much irrational behavior. And I can talk you through some of the common reasons. Yeah, let's hear it. So this is biased because the people who reached out to me, they often knew like, oh, I really have to get out of this relationship. I kind of want you, Logan, to like tell me that that's okay. Right. So Mm -hmm. these were people who had been in bad relationships for a while. So there was a guy and he called me and he said, I've been dating my girlfriend for two and a half years. The first six months were great. The last two years have been bad. What should I do? One of the things I said is there's this idea in behavioral economics and economics in general called sunk cost fallacy. Mm. Or another way of saying that is throwing good money after bad. You can imagine at a tech company, you start working on a project, really not going well. The users are not interested in it. And eventually somebody should just call it and say this is right. a failure. Yeah. But people are like, but we've already spent six months on it. So yeah. let's keep going. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that happens all the time. Relationships. Really so he's saying, I've already spent two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. I should keep going. So what I said to him was, imagine that this is a TV show. Season one was great. And season two through five were really bad. Should you watch season six? Or should you start <laughs> a new TV show? <laughs> I love that. And when he heard, and I, I wonder what I used as an example. Maybe orange is the new black. Because mm. it was just one where like the final season, I was like, I'm just not interested. I'm going to start something else. And it really helped him see like, I, I just want to keep going because I've already invested time, right. but actually this isn't working. Interesting. Another thing I told him was from other research I'd done, I found that actually in the first six months of a relationship, people sort of wear a mask. And around the six-month mark is when they start becoming themselves. So actually what he had called the good six months was Was to me when they had both been pretending that they were different people. Another thing I told him was a key principle of behavioral economics. So the theory that was actually like the foundational paper between the two fathers of behavioral economics is called loss aversion. And that's the idea that we experience loss. Loss very deeply. So mm. this kind of gets a little complicated, but it's if you lost $20, in order to make up for the pain that you felt, you would have to gain $40. Mm. Mm. So we experienced Lost really intensely. And there's tons of examples for this. For example, if you owned a pair of jeans that didn't fit that well, it would be hard for you to get rid of them, but you would never buy that pair of jeans. Mm -hmm. Right? Like once you own it, you just, it's hard for you to get rid of it. So that overwhelming feeling of loss aversion makes it hard for us to break up with somebody because all we focus on is what it will feel like during the breakup and letting them go. Mm. But we don't think about like kind of what will come afterwards. I can totally
0: see that. What
2: I say to my dating coaching clients is like, you're at the bottom of a mountain. All you see is like the hill that you have to climb to get through this painful breakup, but you don't see like the other relationship that's on the other side of that mountain. Right, because it's
0: not visible to you. It's not visible. Another thing I think that's Hmm. fascinating is like kind of another side of this. I'm sure there's some explanation of like when you've broken up with someone, you've experienced that loss, and then all of a sudden you're only remembering the good things about them and you have like selective memory of putting them on a pedestal. Like how does that that play into your behavioral economics?
2: Yeah, I think there is a study that covers that. One thing uh, that I have that I have read is basically one way to get over a breakup is to do journaling where you specifically write about the negative things. Yep. And that kind of goes along with what you're saying. So let's say, like once we go through a breakup, we have these rose colored glasses about our memories. A way to override that Mm-mm. is by doing journaling where you say, well, What are 10 times that this person made me feel not good enough? Or what are 10 times when and like I didn't feel like we were connected. And what I do with my breakup coaching clients is before they go through the breakup, I have them write a letter about why they're doing it so that when they go through that stage, That's they really... reread the letter <laughs> to say, this is why. Or they also, in addition, will call a friend and say, this is why I'm breaking up with this person mm-hmm. when I am missing the person or experiencing loss aversion or I'm yeah. not over the hump, remind me of what's going on.
0: Yeah, because I've definitely experienced that before, especially like if you're not like dating someone that makes you as excited, or at least the vision that you had of that person. And I think like you end up like idealizing them.
2: I think that's and, totally yeah. true. It's our brains just play tricks on us all the time. That's sort of what I'm talking about. And you really have to do things in advance like writing that list so that in that moment of irrationality, or what we might call like a hot state, you can kind of go back to a rational state by, right. by setting these things up.
1: And that applies to the gold standard, the yep. one that got away, the one that yep. you
0: wish you could have been with. It's all in our memories
1: of yeah. these people. It's not actually reality. Well, like yeah.
0: people that break up and get back together, then break up, get back together because you're like in that low oh, yeah. point thinking about like how good the, the it good was. The good times. And then it's well, reality hits one again. One thing,
2: I just met with this guy who had been dating his girlfriend for seven years. And he's basically, do I stay or do I go? And they had taken a small break. And during the break, he had dated this other girl for three months. Mm. And I was like, it's it's just not fair to compare month three yeah, with a new girl no. to year seven with your girlfriend like those are not the same like you didn't even really get to know her and it was still super exciting and like her body was new and her personality was mm-hmm. new and her friends were new but I think the average person would just be like oh let me choose between these two human beings yeah. like that's not fair that's not apples to apples that's right. not <laughs> apples to apples at all and I-
0: it's the other way too like if you just broke up with someone you go out with someone new and they don't know you as well and they don't like understand how you operate like you automatically like compare the two of them. That's also not fair. No. Yeah, I think
2: that's a really good example.
1: Back to your original breakup example. At what point do you just call it though? I mean, even to your tech company example, if you had a yeah. few bad, bad years and you threw in all this money, at what point do you say I'm giving up and not throwing any more money, or do you say let's just try different ways of making this work? Same applies to relationships. We always get this question: When are you? When have you tried hard enough? Right. And when do you just call it and say this is we're just not meant to be?
2: Yeah, this is one of my number one favorite questions to research, and I've been thinking about it for a long time. So one of my mentors is Esther Perel, who I'm sure a lot. Yeah, of your mm, yeah. are really familiar with. And whenever I bring this to her, she always in her typical Socratic fashion answers back with questions and says things like, who are you in the relationship? What have you brought to the relationship? What have you tried? Have you told your partner what you needed? So it seems mm-hmm. like her way of thinking about this is before you should call it, you should really think like, what else could you do to make it work? Mm. And is the issue you or is the issue your relationship? And I think this just really happens as we get older is that if you're 37 and you've had a series of failed three-month relationships, the common denominator in those relationships is you. Mm. So instead of saying, well, this person had this flaw and this person was moving to Toronto and this person used bad grammar, maybe you can say like, actually, how can I show up differently? Mm. So I think it's a really hard question and there's no blanket answer. But before you decide to leave and before you villainize the person and think about all their problems, you should really say like, what else could I do to fix this relationship? And how could I show up
0: And then if you've done mm-hmm. all that, then it's kind of hits that point. It's kind of like the tech product example is like you optimize it and you try mm-hmm. to make it work. And if you just hit that point that you've pulled all the levers and it's just not working, that's when you got to shut down a house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe
2: a way of saying it is you should leave when you can truly and honestly say to yourself and to your friends, like I did everything I could. Yep. And my hunch is some people have a tendency to leave way before that happens. And those, I mean, we don't have to get into attachment styles. Those might be like people who are like (laughs) who are like avoidant attached. And then you might have people who leave way after they should have left. Mm -hmm. And those people should think about like why am I sticking around? What is it in me that, you know, believes I can't find something that's a better fit for me. Right. So I think people could maybe self-identify which of those categories they fit into. So
1: in that sense, there really is no sweet spot for a breakup. You either leave a little early or you leave a little later, Oh, I
2: think there are also people who probably leave at the 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 right right time, time, but those people probably aren't calling me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those people are very woke.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's a skill. I think that there are people who say to me things like, if I weren't working with you, I would have left six months from now, but because I understand myself and my needs and I have tried to do everything I can, right. I feel confident that I can leave now. And what they feel is that they've gained six months.
0: It also probably depends on their own like personal development, like, yeah. self-awareness, like, own like emotions too. Totally.
2: I really like to be practical. Like I like to live close to the ground, giving people practical advice, but there's no blanket answer for should you stay or should you go. What there are are a series of questions you could ask yourself to understand, have I given this a fair shot is there something in our values mm. that's completely in conflict you know does this person want to move to Portland and I need to stay here yep just to really think through like what's behind this decision and is it about us and the space between us which is what a relationship is or is this an issue with me mm. and is it something that I should be dealing with or else I'm going to be repeating this pattern? For a really long time
0: is there an example with this behavior let's say you feel like you met the love of your life and there was some external reason that things did not work out and you've kind of kept this person as an ideal that you compare other people to and all of that like how do you kind of work through that understanding that a lot of that is like the behavioral economics that you pointed to earlier pairing folks and all of that Hey, let's take a quick break because I want you to check in with yourself. How
1: have you been these days? I know sometimes I get so wrapped up in life That's why I am so grateful I found BetterHelp, where I can get online counseling with professional, credible, and compassionate therapists in a safe and private online environment. I make it a habit to talk to my therapist frequently because you know what? Sometimes I just wanna talk things out. BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, relationships, trauma, and many other areas. With 3000 US licensed professionals across all 50 states, they make it easier than ever to find help. And it doesn't have to be expensive like what I use to think therapy would be. They even offer financial assistance if needed. Now for dateable listeners only, you get 10% off your first month with a code datable. Get started today by going to betterhelp.com datable Simply fill out a questionnaire to assess your needs and get matched with a suitable counselor. Again, that's betterhelp.com datable and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 10% off your first month. Now back to the show
0: feel like you met the love of your life and there was some external reason that things did not work out and you've kind of kept this person as an ideal that you compare other people to and all of that. Like how do you kind of work through that understanding that a lot of that is like the behavioral economics that you pointed to earlier, pairing folks and all of that?
2: Yeah. So actually that kind of goes back to what I was saying about cognitive dissonance. Okay. So let me, let me try to connect these points. So people often say to me, should I play hard to get? And when they ask that, I I can just hear in their voice that they want me to say no. <laughs> playing hard to get is silly. Why would you ever be with somebody who wants you to play hard to get? Be yourself. Don't wear a mask. All this stuff. But what I say to them is unfortunately what behavioral economics would tell you is playing hard to get has a purpose because of think about the cognitive dissonance, right? So if you are very available and it's easy for somebody to see you, that's one thing. But now imagine a scenario in which you're very difficult to see and the person has to put a lot of work into seeing you. Yep. So remember, cognitive dissonance is our brain doesn't like to have conflicting thoughts. So what our brain will do in that situation is it'll say, I'm putting a lot of effort into seeing this person. I must really like them. Hmm. So it'll come up with a sort to justify it that ends up with that person thinking that they like you more. So I think what we could apply to that example is we is the person might say, that person in a form play hard to get, played hard to get because I couldn't get them, hmm. and therefore I want them more. But one of the Got reasons it. I want them is I couldn't have them. Got so it. I'm not saying that that's really going to help you get over the person. Person, but just understanding one of the reasons I like them is purely the fact that I couldn't have them.
0: That's really interesting. It might put things yeah. into
2: perspective. Yeah.
0: So I guess like with all these like brain activities, like first of all, like are there certain patterns that some people have and others don't? Do some people see this more logically? Like in that last example, like I understand the reason I really want them is because I can't have them. Like how does that all apply? It's pretty
2: complicated. So basically to the question of does everyone have the same ones? These are mostly universal. So these studies in the field of behavioral economics have been replicated all over the world. And a lot of these things are just human nature. So there's a few that are are cultural, but really they're pretty universal. So that's one thing. Another question in the field is, does knowing about these cognitive biases help you avoid them? Right. Some people will say no, Mm. but I believe and a lot of other people in the field, yes. Because what you can basically do is say, I'm about to make a decision. This thing is biasing me. Therefore, I will make it in a different way. Daniel Kahneman, who's one of the two fathers of behavioral economics that I talked about, he calls a system one and system two thinking. So system one is like the automatic mode and system two is thoughtful. So Mm. what you can do is move from system one to system two by sort of recognizing it. Interesting. So okay. this is kind of a weird example, but let's say you were buying a camera that was nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars, or another camera that was like one thousand twenty dollars, right? So they're only twenty-one dollars in difference, but your brain is going to think the nine hundred ninety-one dollars yeah. is much cheaper. Yeah, that's
0: why every retailer right. does that pricing. So right? in that
2: moment, you're saying, okay, it's a twenty-one dollar difference for two different cameras. That's pretty small in the scheme of things. I am not going to allow myself to be tricked. When by the 999, right? So that's a way that knowing about the difference is going to change it. But there's a big idea in the field of behavioral economics that says awareness does not equal action right? Mm -hmm, mm So one of the common examples here is they put up calorie signs in a lot of restaurants in New York, and it didn't affect what people bought. Because by the time you walk into a Dunkin' Donuts, you don't care that a Boston cream is 770 calories. (laughs) I don't know. I literally walked out
0: of a salad place the other day because I saw the calorie count. I'm like, I came here to eat something healthy, and it's like 800 calories. So
2: (laughs) yeah, I think there's definitely examples where it makes a difference, but what they see overall is that just knowing something doesn't change the way that you behave.
0: So if you really wanted that... That salad you would have gone anyway.
2: Well I guess
1: if you went into a salad place you're going in with a healthy conscience, right? That's true, because then you have a conflicting view. But you're if you're like, going into yeah. a Dunkin' Donuts, you're like, I already oh, knew fuck that. Fuck it, yeah. i here. That's true. Yeah, Give me the no, calories. D- yeah,
2: actually, I think what you're saying makes complete sense. Like, by the time you're deciding to make an unhealthy choice of Dunkin' Donuts, you don't care right. about the calories. But if you were going into a salad place to make a healthy decision, and you saw all of those, you might be like, well, why am I here anyway? Right, I'm like, I could just yeah. go
0: to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, you're not there day. for, like, some <laughs> guilty pleasure. Ooh, exactly.
2: a salmon salad. But... <laughs> So with this idea that kind of awareness or information doesn't lead to action, the way that the field of behavioral economics thinks about it is, okay, well, what does lead to action? And the things that lead to action are changing the environment. Mm. So that kind of leads back to my first point about the organ donation rate. Mm -hmm. So the organ donation rate was because the form is designed a certain way, people take a certain action. Yeah. So what that would mean for somebody who wants to eat healthy is that a restaurant that serve sandwiches should make the default salads because if the default is salads, people keep eat the salad. So the way to change behavior is by changing the default. One thing I talk to people about all the time is I don't believe in the idea of the spark. I think the spark is overrated. Mm. I think the spark is misleading people. I think people have this really false notion of what a first date should feel like. So what I say to a lot of my clients is make your default going on two dates. Make it so Mm. that you walk into the date saying, I will go on a second date unless something crazy happens, as opposed to, I will only go on a second date if this person wows me. Suddenly, your default is is two dates and so many people open up on the second date or maybe they open up on the third date. Lots of people, some of my favorite people in the world are bad at first impressions. They're slow burn human beings. Mm -hmm. So you have just created a default, changed your environment in the way you date that is really going to affect how you make the decision of, should I go on the second date? I Mm. love that. That is
0: such a good example. I mean, I was thinking too, like dating apps, like you said earlier, like if you want to widen your prospects, it's like, let me expand my age range. Let me expand my location. Like just keep that as the default. But I think like the example you just used is like a not as like literal example. Mm. That's really interesting. But what you
2: gave is exactly right. So it's saying the environment, The app is an environment, I'm using quotes, the Mm -hmm. app is a quote unquote environment, and you can shift your behavior by shifting your environment. Changing your app preferences, To broader categories, knowing that actually you probably don't know what you want is a really good way of going on different types of dates. So, So what
0: are some other ways? Because I love that first one that you gave too. Like, what are some other ways that people can kind of change their environments?
2: So, I have this whole rant that I love to go on about critic culture. So, my thought on it is that we live in a culture that's really obsessed with ratings and reviews, and you know, you ride in an Uber, and how many stars did you give it, and you're in an Airbnb, and what that. That does is it trains our brain to look for negative things.
1: Mm, So because that's all Yelp reviews are the negative things
2: for everything. So uh, if you're familiar with the research on gratitude journals, the reason why gratitude journals work is that if at night you have to write down five good things that happened to you during the day that you're grateful for, all day you're looking for things to be grateful for. Hmm. So maybe in your gratitude journal you'll write Bart only came every 19 minutes. And I got there right as it arrived, and I didn't miss Bart. I actually
0: never understood the origin of the fact that you're looking throughout the whole day. I thought it was more just to like be thankful of what you had, not what you didn't want. Like, I, mean, I, I think
2: that's true, but the reason why it works is that you are training your brain to look for something. Right. So if I said to you, look around and tell me all the things in the room that are green, right? Yep. You're, you're filtering for green. And similarly with the gratitude journal, you're filtering for things that are good.
0: I love that because I think in the past I've had trouble with that exercise because I'm like I feel like the stuff I'm writing down today is so mundane but I think if you looked at a big picture of like how it's helping you overall, maybe there's like a different impact to it. Oh,
2: yeah. And my boyfriend and I have this thing that we came up with called the good news rule, which is that when something bad happens, we know that we would talk about it a lot. But when something good happens, we rarely give it the same amount of airtime. Yeah. So the good news rule is when something good happens, you actually have to talk about it and appreciate it and give it as much space as you would give the negative. Interesting. So when you apply kind of the science behind the gratitude journal to dating, I feel like people are going on dates and looking for the negatives. So they're going on the date yep. and they're saying he wore socks with sandals. He was late. Sure. He, I offered to pay and he said yes. And I feel like they're like collecting stories for Sunday brunch with their friends. Absolutely. And they're training their brains to look for the negative. No wonder they're like, I can't find someone great. So for my dating clients and now my friends, I have them text me five good things immediately after the date. And they can be so simple. They can be, uh, he looked really happy and alive when he told a story about his little brother. Or, you know, she did Teach for America and I really respect that, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can be like super detailed, but I'm helping them train their brains to go into the date looking for different things. Mm -hmm. And that's changing the environment to have a different experience.
0: And that if you can't think of any, then maybe you're really with the wrong person, No, That does
2: happen where I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) if this made it into your your top five, this must have been bad. But they still do the exercise. And like, I read it and I'm like, okay, there's no way they're going out with that person again. I bet they still had a better time on the date than if they hadn't done
1: that. Yes. And that goes into, like, what I said before, that your brain is an evidence seeker. It's not the truth seeker. Yep. So whatever theory you're trying to support, your brain will automatically see those things. I love
2: that's really well said.
1: So with that idea, what about this scenario, Logan? We've had a lot of people come to us and say, I haven't had much relationship experience. These relationships last two to three months, if you even call them that, and they don't amount to a serious relationship. Now they find themselves in their mid to late thirties. They want to start a family and yep. they're starting to see this pattern that they can't keep a relationship they become so in their head. It becomes so much about them. What am Mm -hmm. I doing wrong? How can I change myself? And they become so negative about themselves. What do people do at this point? Mm. What advice would you give them? Well,
2: what advice do you give them? I
0: actually feel like I kind of went through this myself at one point. It was a little different, but it was like, it was like when Tinder first came out and I was going on all these dates and like they never really went past like date three or four. And I started to think like, is there something wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a point that you are the common denominator but also like you can't just look focus on the negative to the point you just said or that's counterproductive also because you're not going to go anywhere so i think what i started to look at is like how do i show up in relationships and other parts of my life too like i am a really good friend like i am a really good sister i am a really good daughter like what are those things that i bring to a relationship and that helped get confidence to actually like show up that way when i was dating for me i feel like for a lot of these experiences, it
1: goes way deeper than their dating lives. So it stems from their childhood, it stems from these experiences that they've collected. And I tell them to go to therapy because I think there's just a lot more to uncover there.
0: But I think that's what it is. It's like the experience that you collected, but like, can you look at like a counter to that? Like if it's, let's say you're in your twenties and you were just like never dating because you were focused on school. Like, do you have to hold on to the fact that you're unable Mm. to ever, relationship because you just weren't necessarily focused on it at that point. Like I almost feel like finding that evidence is just holding you
2: back. I really like all of the advice that you gave. And it's it's a little bit stumping me because I feel like the more common thing that I've heard from the people I work with is they come to me breaking up with people at the three-month mark, but they don't think anything's wrong with them. And I feel mm. like a lot of the work I try to do with them is to sort right. of say like, hey, this is a pattern of yours. If you keep doing it, where will you end up? You'll keep being in these three-month relationships. And I try to get to them to that point that you were talking about where they then take responsibility, it's a whole other question of what do they do once they're really taking responsibility for it and they are experiencing, I guess, a form of self-hatred. Yeah. I think therapy is absolutely a great thing for them to do at that point to figure out like, who are they? Who do they want to be? What are some childhood patterns that they might be reliving? And one thing that I say to a lot of my clients is, is your apartment clean? Like, do you show up to things on time? Are you reliable? Do you like yourself? Right. And I feel like just getting to the point where you sort of stop making apologies for your behavior and you actually just start like being better, like Mm. that really helps people. And say like, let's say it was a heterosexual man. I would be like, feel like you're somebody's husband and you just haven't met your wife yet. And like Mm. be that person, like embody that. And I don't want, your situation's hard because those people are already being hard on themselves, but it's sort of like rise to the occasion to find your partner. And if there's something about your own behavior that you feel embarrassed by, maybe like start start adjusting that, like start Mm. changing that thing about you that you don't like and see what happens. But I really feel like therapy would help a lot of people in those situations and I just know I've benefited so much from therapy people in my lives have too. Yeah, I mean I
0: 100% am pro therapy but I think there's like a balance too of like taking responsibility Mm -hmm. but then also being like I am a work in progress. I'm constantly changing and like not kind of holding on to these like limited beliefs of how you were 10 years ago. Like we hear a lot of men that are like so stuck that they've never had a relationship and it's like almost who cares about that? Like, let's mm-hmm. focus on the present. Like, I think it's good to acknowledge like why you didn't, but also don't get so fixated that it's hindering your progress in the future. Mm. Uh, yeah.
2: I think everything you said about that makes total sense. And you're right. Like we have these identities of ourselves that we reinforce right. and these limiting beliefs and we can overcome them. And I, if that person were my client, I would say to them like, Hey, different stages of relationship have different reps, like going to the gym. So you have a lot of first date reps, but you don't have a lot of like six month reps. You need, to get there, but it seems like the people you're talking about are having trouble getting there, Mm -hmm. and I think just helping them understand like, What's preventing them from getting there? How are they showing up on dates? Yep. You know, are they being realistic with their expectations? Are they even like presenting themselves? Like, are they being mindful and open? What types of stories are they telling? Like, could yep. they go on a sample date with a friend of a friend? Totally. Like, yeah, just kind of figuring out like what's preventing them from really showing their their highest self on a date? Totally. I want to take this conversation back
1: to data and decisions. Sure. I like this concept of deal breakers because mm-hmm. I used to really believe in them, and now I. Don't. Don't know How do you feel about deal breakers?
2: Yeah, I've thought a lot about deal breakers and I feel like there are a few categories. I think that there are red flags, deal breakers, and pet peeves. Okay. So red flags would be, I think we all probably know, but red flags are things that come up early in a relationship or at some point in a relationship that are a sign of something that's bad. So a red flag would be if you go on a date and somebody's talking about her ex and she says, he was terrible. Our breakup was 100% his fault. Mm. I was a perfect angel. Right, like that person is failing to take responsibility for some element of a breakup, and breakups are always shades of gray. Two people are responsible, so that would be a red flag. Where you'd say, "Hmm, I don't know what I think about that person's emotional intelligence." Mm -hmm. That's a red flag for me. A deal breaker is a reason why you can't be together, and it's actually legitimately a reason. So I gave Mm. the example before: you love your job, you live in San Francisco, your family's here, the other person is from Portland, they want to move back to Portland, you just want to live in different cities. That feels like a deal breaker, mm. or you want to raise your kids different religions, you what know? Like, what about smoking?
1: Right. Okay. So, that's a very common deal breaker.
2: I think smoking is a deal breaker. Okay. What I have seen the most is people who confuse pet peeves for deal breakers. Mm. And I say this to people all the time. So, I had a friend who we had just met and she was like, you know, I'm so open as long as he's not a mouth breather. <laughs> and you could just tell this was her shtick. She thought it was so funny. And I was like, I just don't think it's that funny because mm-hmm. that's a pet peeve. Right. You know what? Your relationship success is not going to hinge on whether or not he breathes out of his <laughs> mouth or his nose, but you've created this story right. in your head that it like matters so much. And so I think uh, I have an acronym that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it basically means like stop confusing pet peeves for deal breakers. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to go through an exercise of identifying their deal breakers and saying, are they deal breakers or not? And I think a shortcut could just be like, is this something that we could overcome? Is this a value? Is this going to affect our lives long term? Or is this just something that's like kind of annoying that Mm -hmm. doesn't really matter? But I would
0: argue like someone living in San Francisco to Portland might not be a deal breaker. Like, could that be something that you got over that's kind of annoying? Like, is that something that you could eventually work through? I mean, I guess like that, what is that line? Yeah,
2: I think that fair pushback. So what I would say is like, if you live in San Francisco, and you kind of sort of like it, and the person is from Portland and wants to move back to Portland, maybe you can be flexible and you can move. And it's not your number one city, but it's fine. I think it would be a deal breaker at the point at which neither of you after constant conversation is willing to change your mind.
0: Got it. And the smoker
2: one, I just feel like for a lot of people in this day and age, like if you smoke means something about how you feel about health. It affects like the smell, the kissing. I just feel like my boyfriend for example is like super health focused he works on the google health team he would not date a smoker i think that's legitimately a deal breaker i guess so i feel like i
0: always thought that was a deal breaker and then my ex was a smoker and i didn't really care yeah like it kind of just like was like it's
2: not ideal but i would
0: say i'm like yes he's a smoker but i wasn't like this is grounds to like not continue to see him i
2: love that point because let's say it this way smoking is a deal breaker for some people like my boyfriend Mm -hmm. and you thought it was a deal breaker but it was actually maybe a pet yeah, peeve. Yeah. So this goes back to what I was saying of that dating exercise. Yeah, yep. dating like a scientist. So uh, the scientist would have a hypothesis, I don't want to date a smoker. At some point, they might date a smoker and say, oh, it, it's an actually, it doesn't actually matter. And I think the issue becomes when people have too long of a list of deal breakers, which are mostly just pet peeves, right. and they are blocking themselves from dating a series of people that would actually be a great fit because they're just so in their own heads. And I think the older we get, the more kind of set in our ways we are. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that list of deal breakers grows and the thing i hear all the time is i've waited this long to find someone he or she better be perfect and what i want to say and i often do say is you've waited this long be a little bit more flexible right like there's, there's fewer people haven't you out realized there. that no yeah. one's perfect too right, right Right. and i think that's a really hard tension for people as they're getting older that's
0: a good point too like outside of obvious like abuse or like major yeah. ones yeah. like illegal stuff yeah like anything like that we're not going to put in this category but anything else that's kind of fair game it's a lot of it's just personal and like your own values it's hard to say like this is a deal breaker this isn't but yeah. then to your point like how much does mouth breathing really impact your life right
2: especially if everything if the person treats you so well and you feel hilarious and brilliant and beautiful and desired in their presence like who cares i think that people are like coming up with these issues before they've experienced a human being and they're sort of missing the bigger picture right i think this is something that dating apps are missing as well because it's very abstract.
1: Are you a smoker? Do yeah. you want yeah. kids? Do you want marriage? But these decisions are on, on a spectrum. Right. My decisions have changed throughout the years. And I used to think a deal breaker was if a guy said he was he didn't want kids. I didn't even know if I wanted kids, but I thought that was a deal yep. breaker. Until recently, I've noticed that the, the various men I've dated, even if they said they don't want kids now, some have said I'm open to it later, or I may be open to it. That's not a deal breaker to me. I think what's a deal breaker is when they're so absolute in their decision and yep. they're close-minded to other options.
0: I agree with that because I feel the exact same way because it's like I'm not there yet, but maybe if I am, mm-hmm. I don't want to be closed off of that opportunity potentially.
1: Any yeah. others on your, your deal breaker list, Julie?
0: Um, I don't really have many deal breakers to be completely honest. I think like for me, i to think if I have any deal breakers. Logan, what about you? Any
2: others on your list? I feel like mine have just gotten more flexible over the yeah. years yeah. and it's kind of going back to some of the stuff we said like height feel I feel really flexible about I really don't care what the person's job is as long as they love the job yeah. I just feel like I've gotten more flexible because I've realized that those things checking off those things don't really equate to like a person that I love or or feel compatible with?
0: I think mine are more like I don't enjoy myself in their presence yeah, or mm-hmm. I don't find myself laughing So how often. you feel around them, those could be deal or breakers. Or I think a deal breaker too is like, been through this before, they tell me they don't want a serious relationship and I'm looking for a serious relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the Portland, San Francisco example, even though it's different. Like what we want doesn't line yeah. up.
2: Julie, everything you're saying, I completely agree with. It's yeah. basically, does the conflict prevent us from having a successful relationship right. or not? Yeah. And my hunch is a lot of things that people think are deal breakers don't actually affect the relationship. And that's why I've done a lot of trash talking about apps during this conversation, but I'm actually a really big fan of Hinge. Yeah. And something that Hinge has done that Me I just I love, love I feel so enthusiastic about is that they understood that a lot of people's deal breakers were too harsh and they basically have two settings. Is this a deal breaker? or a yeah. preference? So mm. if you're a Muslim man and you need to find a Muslim woman, they give you the opportunity to say religion is a deal yep. breaker. But for most people around things like, do you drink? Do you smoke height they say it's a preference and they show you people who are outside your preference and when I've spoken to the data science team at hinge they have tons of research that says people are often very happy with people who are outside their preferences and had hinge only had the deal breaker setting they never would have seen that person
0: I love that and I'm also pro hinge because that's where I met my ex (laughs) (laughs) I I, I love what I love about it though is like that it does go beyond just the superficial yeah and I think it goes is also a little deeper than just like what you were saying, UA, like, I want a relationship. I want yeah. kids. Like, it goes, like, a little shit. beyond that, so.
2: I grilled their CEO with all my issues with dating apps. I felt very satisfied with his responses. Like, really? I, yeah, I, I just feel like they care. Like, I was. I feel like they just really are an alternative to Tinder, and yeah. obviously, they self-select for people who are a little bit more down the relationship line, but I love their tagline, designed to be deleted, yep. and I, I just feel like right now, clients, my friends, everyone's having the most success with Hinge because she just seems to be self-selecting for people who are actually trying to to have a relationship. Totally. interesting. And back to your
1: original statement of, we don't really know what we want, Mm -hmm. which I completely agree with. Is there someone out there who does know what we want? (laughs)
2: Like someone in our family or a friend? Is that possible? This event last week, and there was this fascinating woman there named Rachel Greenwald, and she wrote a book about how to find a husband after 35 using what she learned at Harvard Business School. (laughs) And she said this really interesting thing about like after a breakup, you could say to your friends, what do you think happened? Mm. And kind of have their perspective on relationships. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, which is our brains are in lust. They're on the drug of love for the first three to four years. So actually, we're not the best decision makers for ourselves. We're sort of blinded by this crazy feeling of love as a drug that will eventually fade, Mm -hmm. which is why like when people make decisions about who to marry during that period, and then a few years later, they kind of regret it. It's like, well, maybe they weren't in the best decision making mentality at the time. Hmm. So I do feel like talking to our friends and family about our relationship, especially somebody who we trust, who truly knows us. And I think we should censor and kind of self-select the people who are in that category. not every one of your family members don't make it a topic at thanksgiving but (laughs) you know i do think that our friends and family could tell us like hey i've noticed that you tend to really prioritize dating high-powered men but then they they never have time for you and you always complain about it maybe that's actually not what you want and maybe quality time is your love language and like this isn't working for you and i think it also it has to do with what type of friendship you have because you have to create a space where your friend feels safe enough to tell you that yeah punish them for it and that's on you because you have to be open to that feedback
0: so i've definitely gone down this route before and i don't think i'll do it again by delivering my opinion on someone's relationship Mm. and i think i agree with you i do think you can see a different perspective because you don't have that emotion however you could also argue that you're not in it with them like you don't see things all the time like you're only seeing one type of lens like how can you kind of make that full decision how would you kind of respond to that yeah
2: i've thought about this a lot. And actually, there's a podcast called Love You Mentory. Oh, this I've guy, heard of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this guy Umentry. called yeah. Nate Bagley, and he's really awesome. And I was on that podcast and I kind of posed this question to him and I loved his answer. So he's married and he was talking about how he has a friend who's the friend that he goes to for relationship advice. Basically, the friend puts the relationship first as opposed to putting Nate first. Mm. So when Nate goes to him for advice, he'll say, Actually, dude, I think that you're wrong here. I think your wife is correct. I feel like, you know, you're being a little short or this and that because he's putting the relationship before the friend the friend, and he, Nate doesn't go to like 10 different people but he has one person who he trusts who he knows will put the relationship first and help him see the bigger picture. Oh, yeah. yeah, That
1: is so opposite of what I always think because I always think what's in my friend's best interest Me is making yeah. he her yeah. happy yeah. is he yeah. doing all this for her but you're right I mean but yeah. she could also be short-sighted in yeah. what she's contributing. So
2: actually another one of my mentors is this guy Eli Finkel he's a Northwestern professor, he wrote this book called The All or Nothing Marriage. And he came up with this really interesting study that's done across like thousands of people. And it's called The Marriage Hack. Basically, what it is, is he had couples um, over a series of a year, every few months, they would look back and say, like the person who was involved in the experiment would look back and say, what was the biggest fight that we had over the last period of months? And they would have to journal about the fight from the perspective of a third party. Mm. And just doing this For seven minutes, three times a year, so that's 21 minutes, actually helped the satisfaction of that marriage from not going down. So relationship satisfaction tends to decline over time, but people who participate in this experiment in the one in which they had to adopt the third party perspective, they actually did not experience a decline in relationship satisfaction. Mm, So there's something about looking at a relationship from a third party that helps you say like, okay, like I see what's going on here.
0: Okay. Well, we can literally talk to you all night because this is so fascinating, but in a matter of time, I think we should do some takeaways.
2: What I'm
1: taking away from this conversation is, it's not so much like we really need to understand our decision-making because that's great and all, but then we're not all behavioral scientists and economics, economists, whatever. (laughs) I was fantasizing the other day and I thought, oh my gosh, what if in a world where we all know why we make decisions in dating that nobody complains about dating anymore because there's absolutely nothing to complain about. There's no conflicts, there's no guesswork, we're just communicating so well with each other. And then I thought that would be a really boring world because then this really important topic that occupies like... 90% of our brunch, you know, it's no longer there. So I thought it's not so much about really making the right decisions, but it's about experimenting and dating and that's what makes it so exciting. And I love what you said Logan with date like a scientist. Yeah. Have a theory and then try to dispel that theory and try different ways of dating and see what really works and what excites you and what creates different emotions in you because I think that is where we ultimately should be. Not so much figuring out this whole thing because nobody totally. has to figure it out. But it's more just about being open-minded to experimenting with dating.
0: Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway is like being conscious about your environments. And I love this like air quote environment because some of them aren't physical environments. And also like, can you change the narrative? Can you take a look at another perspective? I love the example you gave of like, can you pinpoint five great things about Mm-mm. this person and like try to see it that way. And then I think that will also help you frame like when things are aren't the right situations for you also.
1: Our brains are so powerful. I think just by changing a perspective a little bit, yep. it'll change our outcome. And I think what you were saying with changing the default of how you date, just having two dates. I mean, I think that's just,
0: that should be our takeaway right yeah. there. I think we should give everyone at least two dates. Or even two drinks, as we've heard from other people <laughs> on dates that only like have one drink and then peace out. It's like, you're there already. Let's make the most of the night that we have together. And
1: I think ultimately the main takeaway of this conversation is we don't know what we want. There's nobody there who can really gauge, Julie, you know exactly what you want. This is what you you should be looking for. Nobody knows. So with that in mind, then we date with that kind of perspective. You're a clean slate. Every time you go on a date, you're just trying to figure
0: out what makes you feel good and what doesn't. I think to add to that too, it's like you don't know what you want because it's a moving target. Like what you wanted Mm -hmm. yesterday might not be what you want today and what you want in a year and two years. So it's kind of like adapting and just like understanding yourself, understanding behavioral economics as much as you can, or just like the way your mind works. And then just, I think you just have to to go through it, right? It's like, you got to learn, you got to mm-hmm. adjust, experiment, like date like a scientist and all of that. I guess, Logan, I know you live and breathe this stuff, but is there <laughs> anything that you want to add as like a takeaway from this, no. having a conversation?
2: I mean, that was so fulfilling and satisfying just to hear my thoughts re through your words <laughs> and it makes me feel like I'm on the right track with my work and with totally. the book. And if everyone could just be a bit more humble in their search mm. and kind of say like, you know what? I'm open to the world to surprise me.
0: Yep. Hmm. And
2: anyone who tells you that they know exactly what they want, don't believe them. And yeah, maybe we can just kind of close on the thought of date like a scientist, whatever your hypotheses are, go out and test them. Love it. Question of the day? Yeah, let's do a question of the day. Okay, this comes from Dennis.
0: I've been dating this woman for about a year and she's everything I want on paper. Pretty, intelligent, caring, etc, etc. I've been content, but she's looking to get married soon. Overall, she makes me happy, but the spark isn't as strong as other people I've dated in the past. <laughs> However, she's someone that I could start a family with, which is important to me. Should I just go all in or hold out for someone that gives me all the feelings? I already
1: know what Logan's going to say. <laughs> the spark is
2: bullshit. <laughs> How does this work? Do I answer? You yeah, can yeah, start. Yeah. You kick Please. us off and okay. then we'll chime in. So I would definitely want to know more about this person and how old he is and whether or not this is a pattern of his. The first thing that stuck out to me from his question was she's really good on paper. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but this is one of my pet peeves, (laughs) which is what I call resume dating, which is dating for the person's kind of bio data versus how they make you feel. Yeah. So he addressed this a little bit. He said, you know, I feel happy around her, but I would really want to know more like what side of you does she bring out? How do you feel? around her, you know, who are you in her presence, all of those things. And I would try to make the decision based on that. I think he said he was content. I don't know whether he meant that as opposed like content versus you know super enthused, but I think actually right. content is pretty good when he thinks about the spark. Is he comparing her after a certain number of years of dating to maybe a really great date that he had? And kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think the spark is overrated for a few reasons. One is the spark often fades. Many couples that started with a spark get divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Disney sold us this idea of you know, a, rom, <laughs> like, rom-com. Yep. a rom-com. Disney's a rom-com are obsessed with the idea of the meat cute. I think that's overrated. And just kind of going mm-hmm. back to the point about the three to four year mark, lust fades. I wouldn't optimize for a thing that fades. So I think if what he means to say is I have felt happier in other people's presence, I've more enjoyed myself in other people's presence, that's real. But I wouldn't break up with this person based on this so-called spark because I think the spark is overrated.
0: Well, everything you said is Fairly very good. Comprehensive it's like answer. we need to get a little more info about like their relationship. I think the only side where it feels like he's definitely second guessing this a lot mm. to your point earlier it's like just go all in and commit and then see if that makes you happier maybe like that i don't know it's a tough one because then on the other side like if you are having so many doubts that's not fair either to this person to you even like all of that so can maybe think of the five great things the five things that are making you question it and really just like start to kind of hash it out with therapist or trusted friend mm-hmm. we'll put the relationship first or whoever that may be. I think a
1: huge mistake a lot of us make when we're dating is that we think that there's someone better next, whether it's the next swipe or the next person you meet. Instead of... Thinking that we need to hold out for a better person, how can we make the current relationship better? And I think that's a better foundation to build upon. So instead of thinking about the next person, think about what's that next stage in a relationship that looks best. What is the ideal world of that relationship and work towards that?
0: I'm mixed on this. Like, I get that, like working to the relationship and all of that. I would maybe have him question, like, why he entered this relationship in the first place. Like, did he go here because he was. Is like feeling low and didn't feel like there were a lot of options and this was the best option or was he so gung-ho about this woman to begin with and kind of like some of this just time has set in. Like what were those motivations more? Because on one side like we talked about it's like continue to work and build something, but then there's also a time that you do need to know when to let it go. Mm-hmm. Like thinking that you're kind of in like second best with this woman is not really fair to her in any way either. Right? Yeah I
2: really like that point and I think it's a strategy that they use in couples therapy where one of the first questions they'll ask is, describe to me how you met and how you fell in love. Right. And people just remembering and reliving that experience of, I saw him across the room, we made eyes, he walked toward me. It kind of helps people reconnect with those right. good stages and that can mm. help people assess the situation. This, this is a hard one. And maybe for our next conversation, <laughs> we, can, we can talk about maximizers versus satisficers. Ooh. But I think what might be going on with him is that He might be a maximizer who's saying, oh, I wonder if there's someone else out there and I need to test every possible example before I know when in reality, like that's just not really a possibility with dating. And at a certain point, as we said earlier, you kind of just have to choose and commit.
0: So maybe our advice to him is to give it a little bit more and then see No, how he's break
2: doing. up, Dennis. We yeah. don't even know you. Just break up with her and move
0: on to someone better. No, absolutely not. I think it's not. give it your all, but then also be realistic of when to throw in the towel too, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that.
0: Cool. Great. This was fascinating.
1: I knew this would be a very fascinating conversation. Now I'm thinking all the decisions I've made about my love life in the last <laughs> 20 years or so. <laughs> so
2: Logan, if people want to get a hold of you or um, get some coaching from you, how can they find you? So my, my website is loganery.com, so L-O-G-A-N-U-R-Y.com. And I know Instagram is cool these days, but I <laughs> post a lot on Facebook. So people can follow me on Facebook. I post a lot of updates there. And then I also am sending out newsletters with updates on my book. Oh, yeah. And you can find my newsletter link on my website. Your
0: book set mm-hmm. to come out and what's it called?
2: So the publishing world is kind of slow. Uh-huh. So I am handing in my book this fall, and then it'll actually come out around Valentine's Day 2021. Okay. I don't have a book title yet. No. I kind of, I mean, even from this conversation, I feel like Date Like a Scientist yeah, is Yeah, I like great. Date yeah. Like a Scientist. I, and there's all these things where like the book title has to be hopeful, and my I have an amazing publisher at Simon & Schuster who I feel like when she hears the right title, she'll know it. So we don't have an exact title yet, but you don't want to call it final sale.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's the top. <laughs> Up of this episode, Dave. that's a final sale, sale of- or date like a scientist. <laughs> it's a very hopeful title. Final um, sale, my. take it or leave it, bitches. <laughs> hey, that's the key to happiness. That right? is the
2: key to <laughs> key to happiness.
0: Final <laughs> sale.
2: Yeah, return policies are making us miserable. No returns. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This has yeah, been awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you
1: Logan. And for anybody who wants to be a guest on our show, Talk About Data, we love the this idea of yeah. how our decisions are informed and how science plays into everything and uh, why we make the decisions that we we do and how, why we do the things
0: that yeah. we do. It's, or if anyone so made like a crazy decision that changed their whole like life and love trajectory, we want to hear from you. What about dating experiments? We
1: want to hear from you as well. I know there's so many people who've done their own dating experiments. I'd like to know what were the results of that. Date like a scientist. Date like a scientist. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Stay dateable. In summation, in this episode, we talked about social experiments, but there are also some ways you can experiment with the way you look. And that's why we're here to talk to Jeff from Blackwood for Men, which is a line of premium men's grooming products made in Japan. Jeff, what are some ways that Blackwood for Men can help men prep for an awesome date?
2: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to get you out of the door in less time. Whenever you use our products, they're multifunctional. So while you're washing your
0: face with a face wash, it's going to help to repair your skin and it's going to make it less red less inflamed, less blemishes while you're washing and it'll protect it for later. And the same goes for your hair. When you're using our products or shampoo or conditioner, it's going to make your hair not only clean, but it'll come out smelling great that night while you're uh, out on the town.
1: And smelling great is also a key factor in being successful on a date. I got to say Blackwood for Men products smell amazing.
0: Yes. If you want to experiment with us, try something new, change your default. We have a special 25% discount just for dateable listeners. So just go to our website, blackwoodformen.com, and use uh, the code datable.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at DATEABLE Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag #StayDatable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. you. <music>